the Irish Times business podcast in association with Irish Life. Eight of the top ten Irish companies choose to do business with us. We know Irish Life. We are Irish Life. Hello and welcome to Inside Business with Kieran Hancock, a podcast from the Irish Times. This week we're discussing everything from spiralling rental costs to the boardroom spat at INM, services move against mortgage holders in arrears, and Sean Quinn's punt on a new online betting venture. Now I'm joined in studio by a team of top Irish Times business journalists, Mark Paul, Fiona Redden and Barry Halloran. Guys, you're all very welcome. Uh, we're going to start with independent news and media, which has made the headlines rather than uh, creating them over the past uh, number of months because of a row between its chief executive, uh, Robert Pitt, and its chairman, Leslie Buckley. The company had its AGM today and Robert Pitt had previously signalled that he might not vote in favour of some resolutions, uh, namely the re-election of Leslie Buckley. We're going to hear from, as chairman, and we're going to hear from Mark Paul in a few minutes. Mark was there at the AGM. But first, let's just listen to a clip whereby uh, Leslie Buckley introduces the resolution relating to his own re-election. I would now ask Terry Buckley, who is no relation, to propose the first of these resolutions, which relates to my own re-election. I propose this resolution. I now put the resolution to the meeting. If those in favour, please raise their hands and keep them raised until asked to lower them. Mark, we heard a, a flurry of uh, camera clicks there. Everybody was, uh, I guess, on the edge of their seat, waiting to see would Robert Pitt raise his hand in support of Leslie Buckley's re-election as chairman of INM. What did he do? He kept his hands on the table whilst all the other directors of independent news and media raised them in support of Leslie Buckley. Um, so what, what does that mean? Well, what, what followed afterwards then was a call for anybody who was voting against Leslie Buckley to raise their hands. He didn't raise his hands then either. So what he did was he abstained. And this is unprecedented in, in Irish corporate history for the chief executive of the PLC um, um, to not back the re-election of, of his chairman uh, in front of the media, in front of shareholders, um, um, in front of analysts, in front of investors. This was a very, very, very public um, illustration of the the, 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 the the chasm between uh, yeah. uh, the two most important people on the board. Now, now, for people who are just coming to the INM story, maybe just waking up to it right now, just give us the background to the bad blood, if you like, that exists between uh, Pitt and Buckley. At some stage early last year, um, there was a proposal brought to independent news and media that uh, it should buy um, News Talk. Um, now, News Talk is owned by Dennis O'Brien. Dennis O'Brien is also the main shareholder on um, uh, in, in independent news and media. Um, Robert Pitt thought that News Talk was overvalued um, and, and, and a row ensued on, on, on the board of INM. Um, and Robert Pitt held firm um, himself and, and, and Leslie Buckley fell out. It's, it's also worth pointing out that Leslie Buckley is Dennis O'Brien's representative on the board. So effectively, they fell out over a proposal to buy News Talk because Robert Pitt thought it was, it, it was overvalued. Um, and, and he made a complaint to the board. That complaint was investigated and nothing happened. And then what he did in another extraordinary development, he went to the office of the Director of Corporate Enforcement and he made a whistleblower complaint against his own chairman. That's a protected disclosure. So that offers him some security, if you like, against... It, 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 it makes him bulletproof. Um, if, you, if you sack or, or otherwise penalise somebody for making a protected disclosure, providing it meets the, the, the meaning of a protected disclosure under the rules, they're effectively bulletproof. No, sure. no, nothing can be done. And you can, uh, you can effectively go to the circuit court very easily to get an injunction against any... any, any, any now, as you say, an extraordinary set of circumstances, and it was on the radar of at least one shareholder at this AGM. Let's have a listen to a clip where a shareholder called Giles Kerr asks some issues, some pertinent questions about the corporate governance at INM. 
Um, could I say on corporate governance issues that I, for one, as a shareholder, I'm very happy that uh, Mr. Pitt has raised the issues that he has raised, and I'd like an assurance that the whistleblowing policy of no retaliation will apply to him, as indeed it would to anybody else. Could I also um, say on page 45 of the annual report uh, in your corporate governance statement, uh, a specific sentence saying that the chairman has responsibility for maintaining an effective working relationship with the chief executive. Could I ask perhaps you to comment on that in the current circumstances where disclosures have been made? In relation to the relationship between uh, the chairman and the CEO, Chris, uh, look, uh, uh, if uh, somebody makes a protection, protective disclosure, uh, that needs to be handled in a very proper and professional way and within a legal framework. Right? And that's exactly how that's, that's been done. And I want to assure you and all other shareholders that this board and the special subcommittee is working day and night on your behalf to get this issue resolved. Mark, what did you make of that answer from Leslie Buckley? How, how are you reading it? Well, he, he, he very deftly, I thought, he very deftly sidestepped a very direct question, which was, can you comment on your relationship with the chief executive? Now, Leslie Buckley's response was, well, you know, um, and when there's a whistleblower complaint that it has to be dealt with legally and properly. But he didn't answer the question as to what his, mm. uh, his relationship was with his chief executive. But he didn't have to answer it because it was apparent from anybody who looked at the table. They were sitting at opposite ends of the table. They never spoke to each other once during the meeting. Um, everybody has known now for nigh on uh, nine or ten months that they've been at each other's throats and they've actually been at each other's throats for about 18 months in total. Um, so it's, uh, it's, it's, there, there is no way of, of, of glossing over this. Um, the chairman and the chief executive of Independent News and Media are completely and utterly at odds on this. Um, um, in a year and a half, it hasn't been resolved mm. um, and, 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 and it's and, now very, very public. And you were writing during the week as well about um, this report, this review of that whole news talk transaction saga the way it was uh, the way it was dealt with um, has been completed for the company but that effectively no findings were made yes and um, there, there, there there was there was effectively two investigations into what happened one was an external review commissioned by the board um, and and the other one was the ODC one which is ongoing the external review that was commissioned by the board that 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 review was delivered back to the company in recent weeks our understanding of that is that it makes no substantive findings on it it doesn't um, it doesn't indict anyone and it doesn't clear anyone. So it just says this is what Party A says and this is what Party B says and this is what Party C says and basically draw your own this is, this is what Party A says, this is what Party B says. Party A and Party B are so far apart that I can't make any determination on it. Um, um, but here's a few recommendations okay. for Cormac. So we have Robert Pitt, who's this bulletproof chief executive, as you mentioned there a few moments ago. And we have Leslie Buckley, who essentially is in INM. Uh, as a representative of, he's the chairman of the company, but he's also a representative. He's a very close business associate of Dennis O'Brien, who's the largest single shareholder in INM. And we know that Dennis O'Brien and the O'Reilly family had a very public um, spat over uh, seeking control of the company uh, probably five or six years ago now at this stage. How does the impasse get broken between those two sides? Because they're both entrenched. Between between Pitt and, and between Pitt and and the Buckley O'Brien side, if you like. Well, it, it, it you would have to look. We're, it's, a little, it's a little bit of a Mystic Meg question, I suppose. But but one of them is going to have to 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 to, to be defeated, or to go, or or to, or to be vanquished in some way, or to walk away. Um, what about both of them going? Um, both the chairman and the chief executive. 
Well, you, you, that's not going to serve the interests of either either side in this in, the, in this row, is it? Look, I, I don't know how this is going to be resolved, and 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 and, and I don't think they know how this is going to be resolved. And um, if they're both dug in, um, um, you kind of wonder what does this mean for the other shareholders in the business? I mean, I mean, is the focus of the board on maintaining value for shareholders? I mean, we we've already seen in in, in one analyst report from Merrion stockbrokers this morning um, uh, remarks that I thought were quite pointed for an Irish um, um, analyst of, of a PLC to say, look, guys, you really need to get your corporate governance issues and and the composition of the board and so on. You need to get this sorted. Um, you know, shareholders, Dennis O'Brien controls almost 30%. Um, Dermot Desmond controls almost 15%. There's another 55% of the company there that are owned by other people. Um, and 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 the board has to work in the interests of all shareholders, um, and 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 a board that mm. where you have the two most senior people at each other's throats isn't focused. But on we heard from Giles Kerr there. Were any of the other shareholders raising questions about this impasse? Yeah, there were there were there were other questions about it, um, but they weren't. I suppose they weren't. There, there was no questions from any representative of the major shareholder blocks, which I found, which I found quite surprising. Um, th- there were other issues. I mean, the, the issue between the chairman and chief executive isn't the only issue facing i There's a pensions issue, there's a performance of the company, there's the fact that its profits are down and its sales are down, like everybody in the newspaper business. Um, and, but but the, 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 the issue of the chairman and chief executive really come up in about, sort of, in about two questions, I think. Um, um, but you know, like I said, they were it, it was sort of sidestepped in a way, and they, they really uh, yeah. Uh, Let's it. talk about the trading performance because they published interim results uh, this morning as well. Profits down essentially twenty percent. Mm-hmm. Um, sales down, as you said. I think their uh, their print circulation uh, numbers are, are down more than seven percent. Uh, the print advertising down by a double digit figure. Mm. Digital advertising is up, but it just doesn't compensate for the the level at which uh, print revenues are going down. Yeah, the, the the rate of growth in digital advertising, which is probably the most disappointing thing, that has slowed down considerably to six point something percent. Did you give a reason for that? Um, he said the, the reason on an analyst conference call uh, on on uh, this morning, and um, what Robert Pitt said was that it was a change in consumer behaviour, and um, he didn't go into it any deeper than that. But then he also raised the prospect of Google and Facebook. He basically said that um, when it comes to digital advertising, we're, we're competing with Google and Facebook. They take all our content, they take it for free, they throw it out, they aggregate it, they put it all over their service, um, and it's very unfair what they do to us. And actually, it was quite ironic because in that, he was echoing the complaints of Dennis O'Brien, um, of course, uh, uh, Leslie Buckley's friend um, and, and the main shareholder. Um, and, and he seems to be quite aligned with Dennis, with Dennis O'Brien. Dennis as, as in his role as owner of Digicel, uh, a telecoms yeah. company in the Caribbean and, and the Pacific Islands. And he's Has been giving out about Google and Facebook Facebook and 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 their impact on the media market, um, and 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 Robert Pitt was echoing that in his comments. Yeah. This and they could introduce a paywall, couldn't they? Which would stop people from. They said from they have no that. plans currently at the moment to introduce a paywall, um, but they weren't ruling it out. But they said they, they said they quite clearly they have no plans right. at the moment to introduce a paywall. Did they give any comments on the future of the newspaper industry? Um, Robert Pitt made comments this morning, not at the AGM, but 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 on the analyst conference call. He made comments that he thought that you know um, that, that that the company could continue to produce a printed newspaper for perhaps the next twenty years. Um, he said that the future of newspapers is really that you produce the best newspaper that you can with the resources that you can with the distribution that you can. But he said the road is narrowing on cost cuts. What he was hinting at was that look, there's only so much more costs I can take out of this business, and that other parts of the business are going to have to step up, which is the digital part of the business. You know, it's Cars Ireland website. Um, and, and other parts of the business. He, he, he used the phrase, the road is narrowing, and I, I, I took that to mean that um, he's running out of things to cut. 
Right. Okay. Well, a very uncertain future there for uh, independent news and media and its uh, newspaper assets, as indeed it is for all newspaper publishers uh, in this market, unfortunately. We're now going to um, move to the issue of vulture funds. And Barry Halloran, you've been covering a story this week whereby Cerberus, uh, well known to us all for its role in Project Eagle and NAMA, uh, has been uh, stepping up its enforcement actions against uh, buy-to-let mortgage holders in Ireland. Tell us more. Yeah, I th- well, it appears to be both buy-to-let and, and residential. It's not clear if the it's not it's not clear who's who, but they they now have um, they've initiated in recent in recent period they've initiated seventy seven individual actions in the Irish High Court, um, and these all appear to relate to residential mortgages of one kind or another, either owner occupier or buy-to-let. Um, and this is something that a lot of observers believe is not unexpected. You know, Cerberus has been has bought up, um, I think, loans to the value of about twenty billion in this country alone. Yes, yeah, uh, probably the most prolific it, buyer it, of it, loans by, by far and away. Since and the it, crash, it, it's it's one of the bigger owners of of um, loans tied to residential properties as 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 a consequence. Um, it's three or you know, it's two depending on which tranche of loans it's bought. It's two to three years into its cycle, so it's getting to the point where it's effectively working through them. And there are bound as these are loans are euphemistically mm. called non-performing. In other words, people are having who previously owned these loans. Um, they would be a mixture of Royal Bank of Scotland, Ulster Bank, and I would assume that some of them would have come from what are now called the pillar banks here, the likes of Bank of Ireland and AIB, and possibly Anglo because. Um, some of the assets involved it also bought from the state assets agency NAMA who as you know inherited a lot of bad property debt from the Irish banks back in 2010 Right Have you had any contact with any of these mortgage holders I mean there must be real concern that they're going to lose their properties they're going to lose well, their assets it, it's, it's rather difficult to, to get a handle on who precisely the people are all you see in the, the, the court records at this point are, um, are simply the names as in you know Barry O'Halloran or John Murphy or what, whatever it is but I have spoken to um, groups representing mortgage mortgage owners, including um, the, the Irish Mortgage Rights Association, the Irish Mortgage Holders Association, yes, David Hall, yeah, David Hall, yeah. And they, um, I mean, he's already well known for his kind of campaigning on this front, and and he, he suggests there is a, a stepping up. Yes, they are seeing an increase in the number of people contacting them who have been contacted in turn by the likes of Cerberus, Cerberus particularly, but other funds as well. Um, and who are now afraid that they may lose their properties. Yeah. But is this not just a natural consequence of the, the crash we had, which left people out of work, it left people with lower incomes and, and so forth, put them in arrears that they're never, never going to be able to uh, pay back. And the only route for a lot of these people, the, the harsh reality is that the only option is repossession or, or surrendering some sort of voluntary uh, surrender. And we see this in so many other markets. Yeah, I mean, look, it's hard to disagree with you in in one way, Kieran. But there there are a, there are a few other bits and pieces at play here. One is the fact that at the other side of this is a housing crisis, and what one of the points that Hall made is that at the beginning of all this, back seven or eight years ago, the big focus was debt. Um, now he says that the big focus is well, if I do surrender my property, where do I go? Um, and I mean, that's that's a pretty logical question for anyone to ask in, in, in light of the reports that we're seeing in relation to rents, in relation to the, the, the scarcity of housing, um, uh, increasing demand on the mm. one hand and, and no sign of any increase in supply on the other. So that's 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 a very real fear. The other side of it is that, uh, as you know yourself, there's a code of conduct, not necessarily binding. 
Um, but that, that actually stretches out the time between anyone taking action and, and someone leaving their home. And also the fact that the, the banks themselves, when they're dealing with these uh, with this type of problem, take a far more softly, softly approach, if you like, than, than vulture capital funds. But, you know, there is bottom line here, I suppose, that if, mm. if, if, if I own a debt and somebody owes me the money and they're not paying me back, then I also do have a right to, to, to seek the security against that debt. And indeed, I do believe that it does still happen in some cases that people turn around and say, here's the keys. And that, in fact, the vulture funds will basically write off the debt then if they get the property. Yeah, sure. I mean, you know, service is a financial player. This is an investment on their yeah. behalf. Um, the, the banks might, because of, you know, political policy here, if you like, um, and because of the culture here, that we don't like repossessions. It's just not something that's part of the Irish psyche. But Cyprus don't really care about that, do they? No, I don't think they do. I don't think they do. And in a lot of ways, the law doesn't oblige them to think to, to think about that. A, a loan is a contract between two parties. Both parties have to, uh, you know, both parties agree to do certain things. And if one fall, falls down, you can hardly blame the other for taking action. Mm. But you're right, there are, but th- there is a cultural issue. And there's also the, the actual very real social issue at the back of this as well. Okay, have the politicians been saying anything on this? Not at the moment, but I would expect that uh, action on that front to step up as they return from their summer holidays refreshed. Sure. Okay. All right. We're going to leave it there for now. We're going to take a short break. When we return, we're going to be talking to Fiona Redden about the jump in rents uh, around the country, uh, primarily in Dublin, I guess. And she'll also be telling us how you can earn up to €14,000 tax-free by using the Rent-A-Room scheme. And Barry Halloran will also be staying with us, and he'll be talking to us about Sean Quinn and his foray into online betting. Back in a few moments. Only 29% of us know how much we need to live on in retirement. Irish Life is changing that with Empower, a new approach to company pensions that helps change the way your employees think about their future. For more, go to irishlifeempower.ie or talk to your pension consultant. We know Irish Life. We are Irish Life. Irish Life Assurance PLC is regulated by the Central Bank of Ireland. All information sourced for Irish Life June 2015. Now, welcome back. This is Inside Business with Kieran Hancock. Uh, Mark Paul, who was with us in the first half of the show, has, has left us now. He's got some important work to do for the printed newspaper on INM. Uh, but I am joined in studio by my colleagues Fiona Redden and Barry Halloran, and they're going to be talking to us about some very important topics in a few moments. Let me just remind you that this podcast is available to download for free on iTunes, and it's also available on our website, irishtimes.com forward slash podcast. Uh, Fiona Redden, we're going to start with you, and we're going to talk about the whole rental sector because uh, some figures from DAFT this week shows the continue es- continued escalation in rental prices in Dublin and elsewhere in the country. But you were also writing about how people can, if they rent a room in their homes, they can avail of up to €14,000 in tax-free cash. So let's marry the two together. Let's start with Daft, if you like. Um, mm-hmm. What do the <coughs> latest figures uh, tell us in terms of rental prices? Sure, Karen. Um, yesterday, Daft came out with new figures for the year to June, which showed an increase across the country of about 11% and as much as 12% in Dublin. And um, I think it's surprising that the, the level is still so high, given that just last December we had these new rent controls brought in. And also it's quite striking that there hasn't been any much commentary about whether they're working or not. I mean, it's nine months in now and rents are still rising. These are the pressure double zones. Digit, double digit rates, yeah, pressure zones. So and that the rents are capped at, uh, the increase are capped at 4%. 4%, that's, yeah. That's a year. Per annum, yeah, per for annum, three okay. years. Yeah. Okay, and yet we're still seeing these 12% numbers. So how do we how do we square the two? What are Daft, what's Ronan Lyons who um, puts together a lot of these figures? What's he saying about it? Well, you see, if, if you think about it, we there's talk now of this two-tier rental market because on the one hand, you have people who are sitting tenants 
their landlord can only increase by 4% a year. And I did this figure for you just before I came in. And it shows that if you're a, a new tenancy, you can increase it by as much as twice if you haven't increased the rent over the past two years, say, of a period of tenancy. So if you have someone who's, who's in a house now for two years, rent is increasing this year, landlord can only increase it by 4%. If it's a new tenant coming in, it can come up by as much as two as 8%, so double that. So you've got... That still doesn't quite explain now. the 12% increase It doesn't double. explain. But maybe there's a there's, time lag. No, I, I wonder. Now, there's a couple of other things to note. There's some exceptions to that rule. So if it's a first-time letting, so if it's a new build and it's been let for the first time, <clears throat> you can pretty much almost choose the rent. Now, we saw that in Sandiford recently, Iris Reit, the property investment fund, they had 68 new apartments there trying to let them for a two-bed as much as 2500 mm a month. I mean, that's going to skew, you'd imagine, the, the growth rates. Did they manage to let all of those apartments? They let them all, but they did let them for quite, it's just slightly less, I think, than they'd originally envisaged. Mm. I mean, that's 30 grand in after-tax income. It's, it's a massive it's a, amount it's, for it's a apartment in Sandyford, but I guess if you've no place else to live with the shortage in supply. And have we any sense might. of how many uh, new units came into the market, let's say, in the past no, year? No, no. I mean, we've, I've asked after about that and those figures, how many were new and, and they don't... But you mentioned there as that. well that the rest of the country, I mean, uh, or the country overall is 11%. So that's suggesting that, you know, there's significant price inflation for renters outside of Dublin as well. It's true, yeah. I mean, I guess as employment recovers, you're going to see more pressure, more immigrants coming in to take up the jobs. More and Barry's point earlier in the podcast the about us having a housing crisis, there clearly isn't enough stock coming into the market. To meet demand, there clearly isn't. No, I mean, if as, as you said, if Iris well. Reek can rent those that many apartments that quickly and at that rate, mm. so what's this going to mean for students? They're going back to college uh, shortly. What's it going to mean in terms of student rents? Mm. Well, I mean, it's, it's proven to be very difficult because even though we have seen a, a big construction of student developments right across, particularly in Dublin city centre, it's still not enough to meet demand. And I mean, as you mentioned, there there's potential then for people. It's probably one of the only ways to earn tax-free income. Yeah, let's in talk Ireland. about this. So yeah. the rent room scheme, it's actually been there for quite a number of years, hasn't it? But oh, it's been perhaps there a long it hasn't time. had the publicity no. that it deserves. Possibly Tell not. Tell us how it operates. So if you have a room, two rooms, whatever in your house, you can let them. Now, there's a perception there that it has to be to a student, but that's not true. It can be to a young professional. It can you could, be to you anybody. could let it to Barry. You could let it to Barry if you thanks, wanted. Thanks very much, <laughs> Um, you can let it to anybody. There is, a, there is a revenue rule about it that it should be in your home. So, I mean, there was a lot of confusion with people about mm. Airbnb and should that qualify for the 14,000 tax-free income. Revenue said it doesn't because you're not... So if you have a room at the home. bottom of the garden, that doesn't count? It doesn't count. It has to be attached okay. to your house. And they should be in your home. So that in that sense, they should be using your washing machine. They should be cooking on your facilities, mm. using your fridge. You know, it's that kind of a relationship in order to get the tax-free income. And if the rent goes over 14 grand, it's all up for grabs in terms of being taxable. It is, yeah. So you have to be careful about that. And there's another thing, I'm not sure everyone knows, but you should be disclosing it to the revenue if you are availing of the scheme. Sure. Now, your uh, data search, if you like, uh, has shown that there actually has been a significant uptick in the number of people renting out rooms under the scheme. Yeah, it's almost doubled since um, preceding the, the boom. I guess there was a lot of supply, if you think about it, back then in terms of places to live, whereas now it's okay. such a crunch. And any sense that Pascal who maybe to encourage more people to do this, that he might lift the I ceiling even further? Quite possibly. I mean, he's, they've done that consecutively. It was 10 grand, I think, just four years ago. Went up to 12 grand, now 14. And now 14 Could push yeah. it up a little bit higher. But even so, if you've one bedroom, I mean, it, it might be hard to reach that target. Barry, you've been a long-time renter yourself, and I know you've moved uh, home recently. How, how easy or difficult was it for you to find a new place? We were pretty lucky. 
um, being quite honest, um, and the, the process was pretty um, seamless, as the, the, the phrase would have it these days. But um, certainly I did notice that, um, that, like, you were back to the scenario, something that I hadn't seen since the point which I moved to Dublin, that um, where literally you, you, were, you were turning up and there were people queuing outside the property. Um, and a lot of them were people who were obviously new in the country. Uh, and maybe you, you could see that they were having their, their quite a lot of difficulty getting their heads around this. And maybe, you know, because they're not quite used to the way we do business as well, that, that, that you, you have that kind of added cultural difficulty. Um, but we certainly had no problem. But I'm aware of people who have, uh, have had desperate problems and um, people quite late in life, maybe even retreating back to sort of doing things like house shares and all the rest of it because of the kind of because um, the extraordinary rents being sought by some people, including IRS right. Yeah, and Fiona, we also have this uh, phenomenon in Ireland now. I know it's it's been there in other countries, but we have it just coming into Ireland, where landlords are actually seeking more than one month's rent as a security deposit. Mm. That's true. I mean, Irish Reef, we go back to them, but they're looking for two months now in lots of their properties. And I mean, it's it's if you look so abroad, that's a big chunk of money. You it's have an to awful lot of money. Deposit, yeah. But I think the issue there is that if if it happens quite a lot in other countries, but there's some security of this deposit, the landlord doesn't take it and put it into their bank account. You know, it's held like in a third party. But in Ireland, the landlord takes it, so that's a big chunk of money. If you were to lose it, and I mean, if you look at the or- the residential tenancies board, typically the most of their complaints are about tenants not getting back their deposit. So if right. you're now talking about two months deposit, okay. it's a lot of money to lose. Is there any on. chink of light at the end of the tunnel? Uh, is there any sense that the housing supply is really beginning to move upwards and that this problem will, will be eased, if you like, in the next few years? I'd find it hard for it to be eased in the next few years. There's just not enough construction, unless they can use vacant properties or, you know, turn them back into mm. livable properties. Maybe there's, maybe there's scope for commercial properties to be turned into residential. Mm, if all these Brexit companies don't come. All right, well, one man who probably doesn't have to worry about uh, where he lives is Sean Quinn, um, Northern Ireland, from Manaborn, a businessman. He was one of the richest men in on the island of of Ireland uh, in the boom time, but he had a a spectacular fall from grace and later became a bankrupt. But he's now, Barry, back in business or seeking to get back into business in terms of online betting. Tell us about this. Okay, well, well, Sean Quinn and his... His family, uh, primarily Sean Quinn Jr., his son, obviously, and son-in-laws, Stephen Kelly and Al McPartland. Uh, also, they um, have launched a business called Quinbet, which is an online, um, basically an online sports betting site. You can go on to Quinbet's website and you can back horses. Or is it up and running? It's up and running. It's been up and running for uh, five or six days now, I think. Um, yeah, specifically six days. It was launched last Thursday, I think. Um and it, it's it, it's it, on the face of it quite straightforward. Sean Quinn owns it, uh, and his his son essentially, Sean Quinn Junior, is is running it. Um, Sean Quinn Senior doesn't have any day to day involvement in the in 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 the running of the business, but he does own it. He and has made apparently yeah. a significant investment in it. And the obvious question to ask Barry is how a former bankrupt, and he's only recently come out of bankruptcy, how a former bankrupt has the wherewithal, the financial wherewithal to back a betting company? Um, that's the $6 million question, Kieran. to be quite frank, because the, 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 while the company says it involved a significant investment, we don't know how much. Um, so we don't know how much actual cash he had to put up front. Um, his, the, the, 
the, the nuts and bolts of the business are basically purchased off the shelf, if you like, from a company in Britain called FSP Technology, which provides the, the odds making, the software that drives the website, and I'm assuming some of the sort of the risk management software, the, the more complex bits of the business. So essentially these guys, mm. you, the, the Quins, if you like, are sitting out front and, and, and running it on a day-to-day basis. Um, but this is going to require huge resources in terms of marketing. I mean, we, you know, there, yes. there's some substantial competitors in the market. I mean, just in the Irish market, for example, local players like Paddy Power Betfair and Boyle Sports. Yeah, and uh, the, the, both of those companies, um, like you say, they're Irish companies, and they pack quite a lot of heft in this market. And if you think about it, in terms of things like even a high street presence, it's very hard to to think of any place where that that where you don't have a a, a Boyle's power or possibly a Labrook bookshop, Labrook's bookie shop, but you don't have any other kind. And certainly on the web, they, they're also the dominant players in the online market. The thing about the online market in Ireland and, and Britain, where the Quins are also targeting business, is that it is massively, massively crowded at this point. You have the very big players, the, the, the Paddy Power Bedfair being, and the, the Boyle. William Hills and so forth. But Hills also a lot of casino operators, online yeah, casino players. You, you have a flock of smaller and me, more of smaller and more medium-sized players as well, which have all entered the market very recently and in much the same way as Quinn have sort of bought their technology and their, their systems off the shelf. Um, so it's a very, very crowded marketplace. It's very, very difficult to get yourself noticed. And um, a lot of the smaller players spend disproportionate amounts of their, inc- of, of their money on marketing and marketing alone mm-hmm. because they don't spend it on technology. No. Barry, you're a man who's known uh, to like his horse racing and uh, the odd flutter or two. Um, have you had a chance to look at the odds that they're offering? How do they shape up against the competition? I, I, I saw, I saw nothing spectacular. I saw not, nothing really caught my eye. Nothing very, very spectacular. In other words, why should you or anybody else go to Quinn Bet as opposed to sticking with Paddy Power or Ladbrokes or? Whichever other bookmaker takes your fancy. Well, you know, gamblers are like anyone else. They want value. And in fact, value in gambling is is actually quite significant because you can actually, you should in theory at least, with some people, be able to back one outcome at three to one and, and this, the same outcome at two and a half to one. And obviously, if you're going to make 25 quid versus 30 quid for your tenor, you know where you're going to go. You're going to go to the guy who's going to pay the, the 30 quid. And this is what Quinn says they will be doing. They will be offering value and customer service to punters. I haven't. I have to say that I, while I've looked at the website a few times, I probably haven't explored it in great, great depth. Um, but I haven't seen any standout examples of value um, to date. I know that they were talking up a nine to four offer against Mayo um, in last Sunday's um, uh, football semi final. But sure, well, we all know where that ended up. So the nine to four wasn't any good to you that day. Yeah, you know? sure. Um, and of course, uh, Sean Quinn had a high profile insurance business, Quinn Insurance, where. Um, he offered, uh, you know, very competitive rates on insurance, particularly for young drivers and value and customer service and all of that. And that didn't end well. No, that didn't end well. And in fact, the insurance business uh, and the fact that it, it, its reserves weren't uh, at the level mm. that was required by the law, um, that was one of the, the things that actually brought down his empire in the first place. And I mean, whether this is true or not, or whether this is more anecdotal, but I know from talking to people, from, from talking to people back when Quinn Insurance was underwriting business in this country that a lot of people said, you know, they're very difficult to get money out of if you have a claim against them. Now, that's clearly, I'm not saying that that's a, an objective statistical report on who's best, who was best at paying mm-hmm. out on insurance claims. But that was certainly the view that people had. Yeah, right. OK, well, Barry, finally, uh, what are the odds on this succeeding? I think they're pretty big, Kieran. I, th- I think it was uh, Ring Lardner said, uh, all life is six to five against. 
I think I'd push this out to maybe six to four. All right. Okay. We'll see how that plays out. Barry Halloran and Fiona Redden, thank you for joining us. Okay, that's it for this week from Inside Business. My thanks to Mark Paul, Fiona Redden and Barry Halloran. Declan Conroy produced the show with JJ Vernon as sound engineer. And let me remind you that this podcast is available for free from iTunes and it's also on our website, irishtimes.com forward slash podcast. And don't forget, you can also follow the Irish Times business feed each day on Twitter and Facebook. I'm Kieran Hancock. Until next time, take care. 